Define success for yourself. Now, check this out. I'm in uh, south of New Orleans uh, a few years ago, and I went to a voodoo shop. Uh, and they had this, this, this wooden partition against the wall of these columns. And, and in these columns were all these vials of these magic potions, right? And the headings above each potion defining what they would give you were things like fertility, health, uh, family, legal health, energy, forgiveness, money. Guess which column was empty? Money. Let's admit it. Money is king today. It's what make the world, makes the world go round. It is success. The more we have, the more successful we are, right? Now, I would argue that our cultural values have even been financialized. Financialized. Uh, humility is not in vogue anymore. It's too passive. To get rich quick on the internet, riches 15 minutes of fame world that we live in, and we see it every day. But we all want to succeed, right? So the question that we got to ask ourselves is what success is to us? What success is to you? Is it more money? That's fine. I got nothing against money. I don't. Maybe it's a healthy family. Maybe it's a happy marriage. Maybe it's to help others, to be famous, to be spiritually sound leave the world a little bit better place than you found it. Continue to ask yourself that question. Now, your answer may change over time, and that's fine. But do yourself this favor. Whatever your answer is, don't choose anything that will jeopardize your soul. Prioritize who you are, who you want to be, and don't spend time with anything that antagonizes your character. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, man. It tastes sweet, but you will get cavities tomorrow, all right? Life is not a popularity contest. Be brave, take the hill, but first answer that question, what's my hill? Well, there's much I disagree with him on, and, and, and I'm not sure that voodoo shops are the place to find your answers, but there's some that I agree, and especially that last statement, which is, you need to find out what your heel is. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, we had some graduates up here. That, that would be my counsel is, is find out your heel. Of course, I have, I have an idea about what that should be, and uh, we'll talk about that. But, but that's really, you know, what, it is, what is it that you, uh, that you are willing to die for, or, or better, what are you willing to live for? And, uh, and, and really, that's a, a lot the... Uh, the discussion that is going to go on in this new study we're starting today, which is a study called uh, Living Large. We're going to be looking, in fact, if you want to go ahead and turn, we're in, we're in the book of Colossians. It's a small little book, just a few chapters in the New Testament. One of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, and we'll be, actually we'll start in about the middle, Colossians chapter 2 today, because this is just kind of an intro to this series uh, called Living Large. Uh, when we hear those two words, Probably all kinds of perspectives, maybe uh, images come up into our mind. I love, uh, uh, as, as uh, Dale Murnith does our, our drawings for our boards each week, and it's always kind of an interesting thing to give the title, and, and the sports car t- today was the one. And he told me he actually hoped, he tried to get a hold of me because he wanted to do a picture of my motorcycle, because, uh, you know, uh, but it, that may be the, your picture. That's, you know, if I, you know, if I had, if I could do, what, what is it? What is living large in your perspective? Because we're going to look at it from Paul's perspective as we walk our way through this letter. Now, let me give you a, a little bit of uh, the background. It's really interesting. Uh, 
when, and we talked about Paul before, you, you're, if you've been around here at all, you're very familiar. Uh, the reason we spend so much time talking to him is because uh, a good portion of our New Testament, the New Testament part of the Bible, the, the second part of the Bible was written by him, uh, which is a remarkable thing because when Christ was walking on this earth, he was not a follower. He was not a fan. Uh, in fact, he was on a mission, single-handedly if, if necessary, to stamp out Christianity until he met the resurrected Jesus, and then everything turned around for him. But when he writes this letter, uh, he is actually in Rome in prison. Now, the things that led up to that, which is kind of the background information, would be a, would be a wonder if it's a movie in the making. Somebody needs to hang on, get this movie, because he's in Rome uh, because it was the, the better of choices for him. He's in Rome based on a, str- a strategic decision and uh, action on Paul himself. He's in prison. You may say, boy, that wasn't very smart thinking. But when you hear the rest of the story, yeah, it was. He was, he was pretty on the ball because it goes back, and if you want to look at it uh, sometime this week to kind of get the, the, uh, the picture in mind, if you go back to the end of, of the book of Acts, which is the story of how the church began, uh, back at, towards the end, about chapter 20, you're going to hear the story that led up to this letter. And uh, what we do is you'll find out that uh, Paul has, he, uh, has been traveling around, starting churches. He goes back to Jerusalem, and he goes there, and everywhere he goes, he talks about Jesus, because Jesus has made the difference in his life. He's changed his whole perspective. He's changed his reason for being. Paul has decided that his hill wraps around Jesus, and, and that's just the reality. And so he goes back to Jerusalem, and he starts telling people, uh, goes into the synagogues and starts preaching about Jesus. Well, he causes a, a commotion. He causes a riot. Uh, things really get out of hand, and, and that wasn't really unusual for Paul where he went. But more than that, uh, he remember, he had been a part of the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish religion, and, and uh, a part of, this, of actually the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And, and so the fact now that he was actually doing exactly what the opposite of what they had commissioned him to do and had sent him to do and what they were supportive of, now that he's turned an about face, they are wanting to do, solve their same problem. The problem they had with Jesus, they want to solve the same way they did with Jesus. And so what goes on is, uh, the sin, hey, Paul gets arrested because of the commotion he called, get causes. He gets hauled in front of the governor of that section of Rome, uh, that, where Jerusalem is, uh, uh, governor, governor uh, Felix, and Felix interviews him, and they, Felix gets word that the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, the Jewish faith, they would like an interview with Paul. They would like to meet and talk to him themselves. And, and, and Felix thinks, well, this is, you know, it's an innocent request. What he doesn't know is that the Sanhedrin, uh, this is where it gets really interesting, the Sanhedrin have met privately, secretly, with some individuals, and they actually got 40 men to make a pledge. And here's the pledge. They said, we will not eat or drink until we've killed Paul. So there's an assassination set up on his life. And what the Sanhedrin have, have planned is that when Felix sends Paul to be with them, the assumption is it's going to, he'll have maybe a few guards, but they won't, they're not too worried. Nothing's, you know, this guy is not a violent guy. But when they send them, they're going to attack and they're going to kill Paul. That's the plan. 
Well, someone overhears the plan, and they go to Felix, and they let him know, here's what's going on. They actually are wanting you to, to deliver, send Paul to them so that they can have him assassinated on the way. And uh, from that, Felix sends him to King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa is, he's not, this is not the Agrippa that was uh, uh, the one that Jesus went before. This is his son. Uh, but, so he goes to King Agrippa, he thinks, well, I'm going to give this to the Jews, I'm going to give it to, to the king of the Jews, which is what King Agrippa was. Now the reason he was that was because Roman, Romans assigned him to that position, and the reason they assigned him to that position was because there was a Jewish uprising against Romans, and Agrippa took the side of the Romans. So the Jews were not fond of King Agrippa at all, but, but uh, Felix says, I'll just make this King Agrippa's problem. Well, in the midst of all of this, uh, as, as King Agrippa looks at it and interviews Paul, he, he's kind of like, you know, this guy, yeah, he's, I, I may not buy what he's saying, but uh, uh, he certainly hasn't, he's not a trouble cause, he's not trying to cause trouble. So they're going to let him loose. Felix and Agrippa, they're going to let him loose. Well, Paul knows if you let me loose here in Jerusalem, I'm a dead man because there's some 40 guys out there that are getting hungry and they said we're not eating or drinking until we kill him. And so, so he basically pulls the trump card. He says, I'm a Roman citizen by birth. Well, that's a big deal. I mean, you could buy your way into Roman citizenship. You pay some money, and, but, and that was a big deal. But you were really on the top notch, top rung, if you were actually born a Roman citizen, born to at least one of your parents who was a Roman citizen. And that was Paul's case. He was a born by, by birth Roman citizen. So he pulled that card out and says, I'm a Roman citizen. I demand that my case be tried in front of Caesar, which he had the right to do. And that was a strategic move on his part because he knew, if you let me loose, I'm dead. So based on that, now they had no choice. In fact, if you read in Acts, you'll hear uh, King Agrippa says, that. he says, you know, we would, I'd let him go, but now I got to send him to Caesar because of what he said. So they decide, they send Paul to Caesar and, and Paul breathes a sign of relief, you know, and well, maybe it's a little early, because if you remember, they stick him on a ship to send him to Rome, and there, he gets, they get in the middle of a violent storm, and the ship is destroyed, wiped out. I mean, there's nothing left but the wood floating on top of the water. But God had told Paul that he was going to make it to Rome. So, so Paul was, knew that, and, and God also let him know that, uh, and he told the sailors who were on the boat with him, we'll all survive. So they, they had to swim to shore, but they did, they swam to shore, they, they lasted out the winter uh, where, on the island they were on, and then made their way to Rome. And so that's how Paul got to Rome, that's the background story. So here he is in Rome, a, a prisoner, and remember too, we've talked about this, but uh, being a prisoner of the Roman system, uh, prison is nef- never a, a cushy thing to be, but especially in Rome. Because in Rome, if you were a prisoner in the Roman system, uh, Rome didn't take care of you. They didn't make sure you had food. They didn't make sure you had clothes. They just made sure that you were, you were stuck. You were in prison. You had guards. If you were to survive, which they didn't care one way or another, but if you were to survive, you had to have family and friends who would actually be willing to expose themselves as your family and friends who would deliver food for you and clothing and make sure you were taken care of until your trial. And so that was Paul's situation. In fact, uh, that's what kind of leads to this letter because while Paul's in prison, one of the men that come to visit him is a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras comes to, I suspect, it doesn't say this, to bring him some supplies 
some food, some funds to take care of him, maybe some clothing. You, in some of his letters, you'll read Paul writing actually to say, well, would you please send so-and-so, you know, one place with my, with my writings, with my parchments. And uh, so I suspect that's part of the reason he came. But also he came because he was a part of the church that was in Colossae which is where this letter was written, to that church that, that uh, was meeting. And what he's come and told Paul is, there are problems in that church. Uh, we're, we're heading into a dangerous situation. And it's really interesting because uh, it's amazing how uh, the things that they're walking through and the things that Paul finds out that's going on in that church are so apropos to today. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, right before we do, I just want to say, out there, as you go out on the little black table on the right-hand side of the door, we have invite cards, and uh, we'd like you to grab those. We'd like them all to be gone, and, and basically what they are, they, they have on the one side a sticker that, talks, that gives the, the title of our series right now. And this is just a really, and on the other side, gives all the information they need to know about our church. And it's just really a, a very casual way for you to Invite someone. You may not. You don't even have to say a word. Maybe you're going to go to lunch today, and so you, you know, with your tip, leave a good tip. But with your tip, you lay this card there, and, and they may look at that and say, "Living large." Oh man, that kind of sounds interesting. Maybe I'll check it out, and they'll, and they'll know how to how and where to check it out. So we really we want those those all to to be taken. And uh, actually, we don't care if you give them out or not. Just take them so we don't have to worry about. Them. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Nine will kill me because she's the one to put all those little stickers on these cards. But Grab those and, and use that. So we're going to move into Colossians now, and there's the background information. And what Paul finds out from Epaphras is this, that there's a group that has moved into the church in Colossae. Uh, and actually, w- one thing before, actually during the time Paul's imprisoned in Rome, he writes three of his letters that we know of, Ephesus to the, to the church in, in Ephesus, which we call Ephesians, and that's a letter uh, instructing them. And he writes the letter of Philippians and uh, to the church in Philippi, and then the one we're going to look at, which is always an amazing thing to me because, you know, I don't, I, I sh- I'm sure, well, Paul talks about, he's pretty clear to the fact that he's learned to have a confidence in, in God's plan for his life. Uh, he, you know, he's the one that says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. But you got to imagine, here, you know, here he is, he's been on this, this, uh, this traveling, uh, uh, tr- these traveling trips, he's been on three missionary journeys, and and uh, he's, you know, starting these churches and going to these towns who've never heard the word of God. And then God sticks them in prison. And it's like, you know, I got to be thinking, what on earth is going on? This, is, this seems like it's such a waste of my energy and time. I'm sitting here and I can't go anywhere. But our, our Bible, the most uh, good portion of our New Testament, is the letters he wrote while in prison under the inspiration of God that we wouldn't have. If he was, if he's out there busy traveling around, so it's it's a you know those. If you're in one of those seasons of life where where God seems to have put things on hold, and you're thinking, man, what can be accomplished to this? Uh, he's got it covered, and and actually maybe some of the the, the greatest things that uh, will be a part of who you are might be in this stage when you're thinking, man, he's put my life on hold right now. So so don't fret that. But anyway, so there he is. So he wrote those, writes those letters. But what he finds about is that in this church in Colossae, a group of men have moved in that will be are called the Gnostics. And uh, and they're starting to teach and and direct the people in that church, those who have, are followers of Christ, and they're, trying to, they're starting to steer them in a dangerous direction, and, and that's what Paul's found out, and that's why he writes this letter is to, to, to 
warn them to start thinking clearly about what's happening. In fact, uh, just a little background. Gnosis uh, means knowledge. Not done, that's, that's uh, you know, that seems like a good thing. Well, I should want to be on a, on a uh, venture to gain Gnosis, to, to gain knowledge. But what it's become to mean to this group of people is uh, Gnosis is a mystical or esoteric knowledge based on, especially this last part, direct participation with the divine. Basically, what they've come into this church and said, in fact, let me put it, this is very simplistic. This is a broad brushstroke of, of kind of the, the two directions they went. And so don't take this as the, all the information, uh, but just kind of a basic. They, they come, they basically are telling the people that, you know, scriptures are okay. Uh, you know, the stuff about Jesus is okay, but what you really need, what you really want is you want this divine connection in your mind with God. That you can, you can have this direct link, and, uh, and those other things really aren't necessary. So you, 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 what you really need is to make this connection. And in fact, basically they said, we already have the connection, and we want to kind of help you have it so that you don't have to mess with this other stuff. And, and so their knowledge is that, that you, you want to make this connection. And, and you hear kind of similar stuff today, you know, like it would be kind of like us saying, well, you know, everybody kind of has their own perspective of God. Or, or some would say that, you know, we all have that kind of that divine element in us. And, and, uh, uh, and so I don't really need these other things because, uh, you know, God's kind of told me what I need to know. And that's, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So, so that's what's going on here. So Paul writes, and here's what we're going to, as we jump in this morning, just as an intro, he, he responds to that. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive now, first of all, that means that what we're about to talk with are, are ideas, thinking, that can actually take over us, and, and they're not a good thing. It's not like uh, helping enlighten you to be, to be more godly or, or a better person. This is they're taking you captive. See that no one takes you captive to hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Now, NIV didn't do a really good job translating that, and I, I should have actually put it up for you, but what it really says is, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or by basic human principles. That's really the gist of what he says here, and, and which he says are deceptive. So he's warning them, and he says, here's, you know, and this is, fits in with that whole thinking. He says, be really careful that you don't get taken captive by these philosophies out there. That and, and he'll actually talk as we come to the end this morning. He'll kind of say why it's easy to get taken by these things. But he says, be really careful because there are a lot of philosophies. There's a lot of thought processes out there that, in fact, are deceptive and hollow. So you have to be careful. And uh, so, so here's kind of the way I'm going to put it. There's two hills that Paul says to stay off of. And the first one is this one. My truth is truth. That's my, my way of putting it. And, and that's this perspective that I've got it figured out. And in fact, uh, you know, some, some go as far as saying, you know, they, they probably admit it. Don't confuse me with the facts. You know, I've figured it out. You know, I know what I believe and I don't want to hear anything else. Uh, you know, or, or maybe if you're really immature, it's the, you know, uh, don't talk to me, you know, whatever. But it's, it's that idea. But there's, here's another way this shows up. And I guess for uh, you graduates who are heading out that system, but for all of us, here's what will happen. You're going you're gonna to sit in a class, and you're going to have a professor in that class, 
And he's going to make a very authoritative statement. And he's going to say it this way. The majority of educators believe, and he's going to put something in that sentence, or most of the scientists of the world believe this, or most Americans believe. And you're going to sit there and say, well, he's a really smart man. He's getting paid a lot of money to teach me, or she is. They have a, a, a doctor before their name, so they must know what they're talking about. So I should believe this. This should become truth to me. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. And he's saying, don't buy it for a minute. Just because they say it, don't get sucked into, okay, what well, must be true. And, and you know, we're all in that stage in this world. You, hear, you cannot watch the news without hearing the majority of Americans believe, and you're sitting there saying, man, that's not what I believe at all. In fact, I don't know anybody believes that. But it must be true because the majority of Americans say it's true. Well, number one, that's baloney. But so, and so he's saying, don't turn your head off. Don't, don't, don't get into a posture where you will not think things through. He says that concerning, and I said it a lot, he says that concerning the Word of God. He says as you study, as you, especially when you hear teachers teach the Word of God. And I, and I share that often with me. I said, when I say something and I'm preaching from the Word of God, I try to be really careful about, as Paul put it to Timothy, rightly dividing the Word of truth. But I tell you on a regular basis, just because I say it up here, uh, and, and I try to tell you also when, I, when it's just my thinking, I'm not sure about it, but I say this is kind of what I think. I try, to, I try to be clear about that, but I always say to you, you need to check it out. And, and you need to not be afraid to say, well, yeah, that doesn't sound quite right. And, and don't be afraid to come to me and say, you know what, I'm not sure about that. I, you know, give me some more information. I, I remember, I love this, I had a, 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 a friends of mine, and when their kids would say something, their response, because... Kids will say something, or, or anyone in the family would say, uh, you know, well, this is what I believe. And their, and their response to it was chapter and verse. And what they were saying is, I, it's, it's not worth a thing until you support it from the Word of God. And that's what Paul's saying. And even more so, he's going to say, support it, that it wraps in, in Christ. That it lines up with what we're taught in the Word of God about who Christ is and consequently who we're supposed to be. And so, so here's his first concern is that that church, those folks in that, and remember, he's writing to Christians there. He's saying, if you're not very careful, you're going to get sucked in by guys who speak or girls who speak, ladies, teachers to speak very authoritatively and say things that may even sound right. And, and certainly if everybody believes it, because that's what they're going to tell you, everybody smart anyway believes this, he says, D don't suck, be sucked in. Check it out. Ask the questions. And he goes on. That's not the whole problem, though. There's a problem on the other side, too, that, that, that steps on our toes as a church. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow. The reality is found in Christ. Now, there's another side of that as we looked at a while a minute ago about the broad strokes of, God, of uh, Gnosticism. It, on the one hand, it talking about developing this connection in your own mind with the divine so you don't have to go through the other sources. But the other side of that was it, it had taught that the material world was, was worthless, was evil. And it's funny, that, that worked its way out in two different ways. It worked out in one way of, of you need to control the material world, which means your physical body and everything else about it. And the best way to do that is to come up with a whole lot of rules. 
eventually it went another direction. It went the other direction of some, some that was taught in it was, well, the material world is so evil, so, you know, uh, out of the picture that really doesn't matter what you do with your bodies, with the material. You can do anything you want. It really doesn't matter because it's really more about this divine connection you have with God. And, and either, either one of those extremes was wrong. But so, so he's worried about this. He's talking now because that's also what these teachers are doing. They're going in there and they're saying, you know, really, it's not about a relationship. It is about these things. In fact, Paul put it very succinctly. He says, why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now, let me ask you, you, if you have friends, I hope you do, that do not know the Lord, I didn't mean to help you have friends, but I hope you have some friends that, that are not, they don't know the Lord, they're not a part of it, especially if you have some of those friends who, they go the next stage, they said, and I will never be a part of it. Usually the background of that kind of posture regarding the church is exactly this list. Because somewhere down the road they decided or were told that what we are about is these three things. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's what it's about. You know, we've got to control you. We've got to make sure because you know what? You're, 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 bad, you're bad little children. And if we don't make the rules for you and, and you know, clamp down hard, keep track... Keep reminding you of, uh, okay, this is what a good Christian looks like. You know, he does this, this, and this, and doesn't do that, that, and that. If we don't do that, you're going to mess up. And so that's their perspective, and that's what they think. When you invite them to come and check out True North or the Church, they're thinking, I don't need that. And Paul's saying, that's the problem. They don't. That's not what they need. That's not what you need. Because it never has been about those things, it's always been about Christ. So here's the other hill. My truth is truth. It's the first one. This, you know, I made up, I made up my mind. I don't want to hear anything else. Don't talk to me. I don't want to. Nope. That I don't want to be confused. I've got to figure it figured out. Or the rules rule. You know, it's all about rules. And and I'll 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 tell you what you you know, I, I'm I'm the pastor or or the church or whoever because otherwise you're going to mess up. If I don't tell you how to do it, you're going to mess up. And Paul's saying, "But either of those are wrong. They're the wrong hill to get on. They're the wrong hill to live on." And and the reality is, uh they're destined to perish with use. You go down that path too long and and you're going to you're going to find out pretty soon it doesn't work. Shutting your mind off, being unwilling to learn anything past what you've decided is true truth. Uh, not willing to listen, not willing to evaluate it concerning the Word of God, not willing to come on to understand God's heart for you, you shut those things out, and pretty soon you're going to find it does not lead to what you've been looking for in life. And and I share that from experience. Uh, it's the same hand, at the same time, making everything based about, you know, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, it doesn't work either. In fact, Paul goes on, he says this, he says, uh, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. See, that's the part that get, grabs us. We're thinking, well, it makes sense, because, you know, I know when, you know, if, when I was a kid, if, my, if my, uh, my dad hadn't told me not to touch the hot stove, I, I would have touched it at least once, uh, and that's kind of familiar, because a couple of our grandkids tried that out this week at our house. So, uh, you know, so it makes sense, I, you know, we, people need rules, or they're going to mess up, and 
And, uh, you know, and every time someone messes up, you, you make another rule because now we've got a new, and, and I've seen this, I've seen organizations destroyed by this, you know. It's, you know, every time something goes wrong, we make a rule for everybody, a new rule, you know. And uh, he's saying they don't, they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The reality is it doesn't work. And so for all of us, you know, we're in a world right now. I mean, the reality is, you know, it's, it's, it is amazing how similar our world is to Paul's world. Why was he arrested? He was arrested for speaking out about Christianity in a culture who said, you can have your own thing if you want to, but we don't want to hear about it. Does that sound familiar? You know, if you're, if you're following the news at all, you can't, there, you can hardly read about a college campus today that, you know, it used to be college campuses, uh, especially secular college campuses, were all about, we, want, we just want to expose our students to all the, the things and let them face the arguments and think it through. Not anymore. You know, uh, we don't, there are certain things, especially when it comes to Christianity, we do not, in fact, we, our kids need their safe space. And that's, Paul, that's what his problem was, is those, those people that he told the gospel, he was in their safe space, and they got upset about it and caused a riot, and it's happening today. It's, it's, it's right into what we're in today. So this is important stuff, and it's stuff for you and I to think about. You know, we've got to be savvy. We've got we to keep our heads on. We've got to keep thinking these things through. Of course, from Paul's vantage point, what we really need to do is make sure we're going back to the source, Christ, and that relationship that he's allowed. So two hills stay off of. My truth is truth. Rules are rules because they'll never protect you. They'll never guide you, and they'll never fulfill you if that's what you're looking for. But here's where we're going. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Life living large. Paul's going to say that's what it's all about. Now, don't you believe it today just because I said it. We're going to explore it together. We're going to walk through this letter and say, okay, Paul, prove it. You say life is about Christ. Prove it, because there's a lot of things in my life that I'm not sure that applies to. And so we're going to put them to the test, because that's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to turn off our heads and just believe it. He wants us to think it through. Graduates, you're moving into challenging times. Keep, your, keep thinking. Keep asking questions. I would encourage you to evaluate those questions based on the Word of God. And, and ask God, if this is truth, then show it to me. I want to see it. I want to see it in your Word. I want, if, if this is where I should be going, if this is what my standard, if, if Christ is what it's about, then, then I want to see that. I, I'm, I'm honestly asking you to show me that. For all of us, man, Even if all America, if all America, if majority of America believe this, that's not what we base our decision on. I think it's a lie anyway, but it's not what we base our decision on. This is where we go. This is our source, and this is where we're going in the days ahead as we look at Paul's letter to the Colossae, asking the question, what is living large from God's perspective? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thanks for this letter that was retained for us protected, and, and all came out of probably one of those in time frames in Paul's life where he's thinking, what is going on here? Why am I stuck here when I could be out preaching the gospel? And yet, if he hadn't been in prison, we wouldn't have this letter. And so we're grateful 
We're grateful for that, that point where you put Paul's life on pause so that he had to write letters, which you, based on your inspiration, made a part of our scripture. I'm anxious to get into this letter as, as we define living large. Paul's already told us it's, it's really about Jesus, about Christ. But, but that shouldn't be enough for us. We shouldn't want to know why. Why is it about Jesus? Why is that the most important thing that I need to settle in my life as I move through life? And so I pray that you'll guide us in that conversation. I pray is for everyone in this room, there may be someone in this room that doesn't, this, this whole conversation, they're, they're not even sure what they believe about Jesus. They, not, they don't even really understand that whole perspective. And, and so that reminder, Lord, that, that the reason Jesus is so important to us is because he stepped into our world as God in the flesh. He went to the cross to make the payment for the sin that had separated us from you so that he could offer us a gift of salvation and a restored relationship. And Lord, if there's someone here that hasn't accepted that gift today, I pray that maybe today is the day they will where they'll tell you, thank you, Lord, for taking care of my sins. Thank you for wanting to be in relationship with me. Thank you for offering me a, a gift of forgiveness and making me part of your family. Lord, now as we move out into the world around us, a world that has fallen into a lot of these hollow deceptions, these philosophies that are not, are not lined up with the truth, and, and so often it's because they haven't even asked a question. They've just accepted it. I pray that you'll allow us to have conversations with those folks that point them to a God who loves them more than they can even imagine. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great day. I have everything if I have you.